My hope is in the Lord, who gave himself for me. Hi, this is John Hemminghouse speaking for the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church near Milanville, Pennsylvania. For over a year now in this program, our pastor has been examining the biblical record of the messages that Jesus Christ himself preached during his ministry on earth. In last week's study, Pastor Jones began to look at Jesus Christ's largest discussion of end-time events, a message commonly called the Mount Olivet Discourse. This message is found in the Gospel of Matthew chapters 24 and 25. In last week's study, Pastor Jones compared reading Bible prophecy to looking at a mountain range from a high spot a huge distance away. From your vantage point, you can see several peaks, but you may not know precisely which peaks are closer than others nor could you see the size and depth of the valleys between the mountaintop. So too, when you examine Bible prophecy, you may know some of the basic events that will take place, but the exact timing and context of these events truly are hidden. So last week we saw some of the major peaks the disciples could have understood from their vantage point, including the coming of the Messiah, his earthly kingdom, and the eternal blessings in heaven. Other prophecies that were far less obvious to them would have included Christ's death and his resurrection. Still other end-time events such as the establishment of a new organization called the Church and the rapture of the Church before the period of great tribulation on earth would have been hidden to them at this point. As you can tell, there's much to discuss, so we better jump right into this message of Jesus as our Lord lays out the signs of his return. When you think of prophecy again, think of looking over a mountain range. If you've ever been on, uh, in, in, a, in a major area where you can get a good view of a mountain range and, and you can look miles off into the distance, sometimes it's hard to tell what, where the peaks and, um, are at if, if, if one's in front of another. And where the valleys are at, certainly have no idea of that. Well, the church age where we're living now is a valley beyond one of the peaks. The disciples had no idea really that was going to happen, that a rapture was going to happen. So we that really goes into this whole discussion. We really need to keep that in mind. So let's talk about what the disciples knew, what they were thinking as they're, as they're asking this question, when shall these things be? Well, they, they had understood that Jesus was the Messiah. They had known that for some time. They also were looking for a literal kingdom. And Jesus did not discourage them from that. He will tell them that, that that kingdom is going to be delayed. But he has never told them that a literal kingdom is, is an impossibility or was never going to come to pass. A kingdom is coming one day. And so the Lord, but they're looking forward to that. They're hoping that it'll be during their lifetime. Uh, as Messiah, Jesus was going to reign over that kingdom. They believed that. And that's why they were so excited about who's going to be next to him. You remember, that was quite a debate that the disciples were often going through. They, they saw Jesus being rejected by the religious leaders of the nation, which must, must have been grievous to these people, as, as they saw the hardness of the hearts. And, 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 of course, as a result of that, Jesus had stated that his nation was not going to see him again until they were wel- would welcome him as Messiah. Now, that had all just happened. That's what Matthew chapter 23, verse 39, is Jesus is saying. You shall not see me henceforth till you shall say, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. So, so the disciples have that ringing in their ears. And then when there's, when he's left those group of people and they're still around the temple area, again, patriotic Jewish men, they're showing Jesus the beauty of the temple and, and enjoying that together. And what does Jesus say? He says that everything is coming down. Every stone you see is coming down. 
That does not sound like what's going to happen during the kingdom. They, they recognize that. And so while the, Jesus is sitting, looking over the city on the Mount of Olives, they have uh, two questions, really. When is all this going to take place? When are you coming again? Because it's got to happen beyond the destruction of Jerusalem. So, Lord, when are you coming? And um, how will we know? How will we get ready uh, for your coming? That is the, those are the two questions that they're asking. They are not thinking about a, a rapture of a church. They're not asking that question at all. They are looking for, Lord, when are you coming back as king, and how will we know when you're coming? Well, that brings us then to what Jesus will say to his disciples. And I want you to think about the fact that he's answering a question about when he's coming as king. We call that the second advent. The first advent would be Jesus' birth, when he came to earth for the first time. Of course, lived among us, eventually died on the cross. It was just a few days away from these events and rose from the dead, ascended back to heaven. The second advent is not the rapture when, when the church is taken out. The second advent is when Jesus returns to rule and reign on this earth. That's what they're asking about. They're saying, Lord, when are these things going to be? But, but in the, in answering, uh, the disciples on, on those specific questions, what, what was going to precede this and what are these things going to happen? Jesus is going to have to deal with, a number of people are going to read this over the years. The disciples did not live to see the kingdom. Every person that has died up to this day has never lived to see the kingdom. And we have no idea if you or I are ever going to live to see the kingdom. We really don't know. So Jesus is going to have to address uh, because this is going to go into inspired scripture, he's going to address more than just that one audience, the, pe the people who are looking, who are going to live to see his kingdom. So I want you to think about, he's addressing, first of all, those who will be dead before Christ's return. That's all the apostles, that's all of the folks who have died from this day that it was spoken until today. Now he's also going to address people who will be taken out before the tribulation. Uh, now, I would say, uh, just to, by way of uh, being up front with you, there are a lot of people, and I was in that camp when I was taught um, prophecy uh, when I was in college, and this is way back in the, in the 80s. Um, a great professor, uh, had great respect for him. I was relying heavily on a, another very gifted teacher, those of you that have heard of uh, John, Dr. John Walvert. Uh, has written a number of great books on prophecy. Well, Walvert's position is that Matthew 24 and 25 are all about um, Christ's return as king, that that is really the only question Jesus is answering. And I believed that for, the, for a number of years until um, uh, it's good to do some reading outside of your own camp, if you will. And as a result of reading some folks who did not believe in a pre-tribulational rapture, which I do believe in, the coming of Christ for his church. As a result of reading some of their objections, I saw some of the problems with the view that Matthew 24 and 25 is only answering that one question. And so I, I believe that Jesus is also addressing saints who are going to live before the tribulation period, but will be raptured before that. I believe he's also talking then to those who will be found as lost pretenders. You're going to see that as Jesus will talk about people who are fakes and what happens to them. Obviously, the challenge is to get out of that hypo hypo uh, hypocritical 
uh, state and come to Christ genuinely for salvation before it's too late. He's going to talk about those who will be killed during the tribulation period. And so there will be people who will read this during that horrible time on earth who are, who are not going to survive the tribulation. They're going to need some, some, some truth here. Also, how about people who are saved between the rapture and the start of the tribulation? And although I don't believe that Matthew 24 and 25 specifically uh, uh, bring up that detail, the Sermon on the Mount is recorded in, in Mark and in Luke. And in those passages, I think you can find some verses that very well may address people who get saved after the rapture, before the, the, the Antichrist actually comes into power and, and sets up the, uh, his kingdom on the seven, uh, a, a seven-year pact with the nation of Israel, which is the, which is the beginning of, the, of this tribulation period. And then there's also people who are going to need to read this who will be alive during the tribulation and will survive it. And will need exactly what Jesus is going to say here in order to survive it. So all these groups of people. So if you want to take a bird's eye view of this message, we, we have in verse uh, 1 to 35, the uh, address to the saints who are waiting for his kingdom. That would be the apostles, even though they did not live to see it, and every other person that was looking for his kingdom, who's coming as king, he'll explain a lot about what precedes that. Then there's also the saints who are going to be taken at an unexpected return. That, I believe, is the first the first teaching that we have on what we would call a pre-tribulational rapture. The fact that that there will be people who will be taken out of this world before the horrific days that Jesus will describe in verses 1 uh, down to verse 35, before those horrific days come in. Jesus is telling us there will be people taken away. Um, and you have to look at that carefully, but I believe that's what he's, he's talking about there. Then there's the need to be ready for an unexpected return. And so he tells a parable of the ten virgins in the very next chapter, again, 24 and 25 to go, to go together, about being ready for that unexpected return. And then there's the issue of accountability when the king comes back. And this could apply to the unexpected return or his return as king, either one. And so there's two parables that he gives us at that point, um, and that is the parable of the talents, as he uh, describes what will happen when um, uh, how we'll be accountable. And then this is not really a parable, but a judgment describing uh, God's judgment of the nations and how they treated uh, his, his people when, when they were suffering will be a, a, a huge uh, issue then. Uh, this again as the king brings in his kingdom. So let's start then by, uh, again, just talking briefly about where we were at last week so we can tie it in. Uh, first of all, you notice that we're not to be deceived. Jesus is giving instructions. And again, if you're going to, for those that would actually live to the, through the tribulation period, they would need these instructions. You say, well, pastor, could, is there any possibility that I might be, um, might, might go into the tribulation? Well, if you don't know Christ as Savior and Christ was to return today in the rapture, you would be in that in all probability if you lived, uh, to see, um, the Antichrist set up his pact. And I will tell you that, that these are instructions for those that are, that are uh, trying to survive it, or at least trying to uh, be saved during it. And the first thing Jesus tells them is don't be deceived, because there's going to be many false prophets. Then he talked, we talked about these things again a few weeks back. Don't be troubled or alarmed by all these things that happened. Let's just list them out real quickly. Wars, uh, rumors of wars, there were famines, there were pestilences, and there are earthquakes. Now, please understand, when, when you hear someone say these are signs of the rapture, they are not. They are signs of his coming as king, 
And what we are seeing now is nothing compared to what's going to be happening during that seven-year period with these issues of wars, rumors of wars, famines, pestilences, or plagues, earthquakes. Do not think that what we see now is 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 uh, the extent, anywhere near the extent of what they're going to see in that day. Actually, if you were you're looking at Revelation chapter six, verses one to eight, what are commonly called the four horsemen of the apocalypse, and those very Events are talked about in those four demonic creatures riding four horses. And so Jesus says, and this is where we left off um, a few weeks back, these are just the beginnings of sorrows. When you see these things happening, this is just the beginning of what's coming on the earth. That brings us then to the next instruction that Jesus gives us, and this is where we start our new material for today, and that is do not quit on God. There will be many people who will be tempted to do that very thing. And why is that so? Well, notice if you would, please, with me, starting with verse 9. Then they shall deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and you shall be hated of all nations for my name's sake. Now, you'll notice that he is mentioning affliction and martyrdom. And you say, well, Pastor, there is all there, there is much martyrdom that goes on across the country and, and, and across the world, excuse me, and there is. Matter of fact, it's been uh, said that we may have had more Christian martyrs in the last hundred years or so than we've had in any other uh, a period of time in church history. And there have been a number of Christians that have been killed or afflicted for their faith. Absolutely, that's true. What's, what's different, though, about the tribulation period, about this terrible time of suffering, you'll notice again, you're, you're hated of how many nations? You'll notice it says all nations. Now, where did, where did we get a large Christian population in this country? Because there was, the Native Americans were pretty much uh, animists. Um, they were not worshiping the God of the Bible at the time. Where did this Christian population come from? Well, many of them came to these shores out of persecution. Uh, the English settlers, many of those left, especially the group that landed up in Plymouth, Massachusetts, they, they, they were, were um, being um, afflicted by the Church of England. And many of these people were godly people. They, and they, they came here to really have a chance to have freedom and to be able to uh, worship the Lord without all of the, uh, the ties to the Church of England and the affliction that they were getting. And there were other issues that were going on as well. But, but so this worldwide persecution, there was no, there's no place to run is the point. That across the world, nation after nation after nation is going after the people of God. You notice the next thing that Jesus said is going to happen, and that is they're going to be betrayed by people even very close to you. Verse 10, then shall many be offended and shall betray one another and shall hate one another. And so you can think of members of of your own family that are convinced that because you are a Christian during this period of time, now this has happened before, but not to the degree it'll happen then. During this time, a person comes to know Jesus as Savior, and, and their own family members are convinced that they are destroying the world community, that, that, they are, uh, that they are a menace to society and turning them in so that they can be destroyed. Um, Jesus also mentions during this time that many are going to be deceived. Verse 11, many false prophets shall arise and deceive many. Can you imagine how discouraging this would be? 
Again, think of your members in your own family. And, and so you come to know the Lord during this tribulation period, this, these awful days. And let me tell you this, it's better to come to know the Lord and go through all of the horrors that these people are going to experience than, than to try to, uh, to fit into the world and spend eternity in hell. That's, that's the other alternative here. And so, but, but there are just this deception sweeping across the world that Christians are, 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 are terrible people, that they're destroying the order of society, that they need to be eliminated. That's what Jesus is describing here. So they're going to, they're, many false prophets are going to rise. They're going to deceive many. You'll also notice that there, it's going to be a time where there's lawlessness and a very hardened society where there's not the natural, normal love even between human beings. Look at verse 12 and 13. And because iniquity, the word iniquity means lawlessness. Because iniquity shall abound, the love of many shall wax cold. And so people become hardened against with, 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 with people that you would typically expect uh, uh, some kind of loyalty, some kind of love toward this person. And then notice the, the encouragement here by the Lord, but he that shall endure unto the end, the same shall be saved. He's saying that, that the person that is truly born again, that's the person who's going to stick with this and just can't abandon the Lord. But there will be a lot of people who will want to be loyal and are, are going to cave because they don't have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and are not willing to pay the heavy, heavy price, which is almost signing your own death certificate when you come to Jesus during this time. There will be some to survive it, but not many. And so what he's describing here, he's saying don't quit on God. It's going to be a horrific time. Obviously writing to people who will live during this period. You'll notice he also tells them, do not stop witnessing. Why do I say that? Look at verse 14. He says, and this gospel of the kingdom, you see, they'll be preaching then, and rightly so, not that Jesus might come at any day, the, the rapture position that we are teaching today. They're going to be teaching in that day, the kingdom is coming. The king is coming. And so this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in all the world for a witness unto all nations, and then shall the end come. Now, I don't know if you've thought much about the problem of reaching the world with this message. But Jesus is saying the message of the coming kingdom is going to go to all the peoples of the world in that, sh in that short period of time. We're looking at about a seven-year period. Now, so don't stop giving the message out. Be aggressive. Many are going to be killed because of it. They're all going to be slandered because of it, go under great afflictions because of it. But Jesus is saying, don't stop. The gospel's got to go forward to all the nations of the world before my coming. Now you notice something else. He says, do not be caught by the Antichrist. Again, this is specifically for those who are going to be alive during the tribulation period. And I want you to notice the warning that Jesus gives here. It's found in verse 15 down to verse 20. It says, but uh, when ye therefore see the abomination of desolation spoken of by Daniel the prophet stand in the holy place, whoso readeth, let him understand. Then let him which is in Judea flee into the mountains. Now, he gave them a sign of this attack by the Antichrist. We just kind of briefly try to summarize. There's going to be, after Christ takes his church out, there's going to be a, uh, you think about it, the, the, the resistance to the uh, the 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 um, 
living for this world, the whole ungodly uh, lifestyle, the whole ungodly mindset, that resistance is going to be almost completely removed, especially from places of power. And so the Antichrist is going to come, this, this one world uh, ruler, it would be like a dictator, is going to come up through the ranks, uh, and I don't know how long it's going to take him to get there, but he's going to come to power at some point after the Lord takes his church out. And at that point, when he makes a pact with the nation of Israel for a seven-year peace treaty, that's the starting point of what we call the tribulation period, a seven-year period that is going to bring great hardship and destruction. But Jesus gave a specific sign, and this, according to the scriptures of the Old Testament prophecies, happens in the what was called the midst of the week, or the midst of the seven, the seven-year pact. And so that would make it the three-and-a-half-year mark of the tribulation period during, uh, right in the middle of that, the Antichrist is going to commit what's called the abomination of desolation. Now this is just an illustration of it. Um, it's the best I could do. It's really not that good of an illustration of the fact that the soldiers look Roman. They're actually Greek. A guy by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes, a Greek uh, ruler um, from the, uh, from the uh, Seleucids, I believe, up in Syria, had gone down into Egypt, was trying to um, uh, conquer them, was unsuccessful. The Romans stopped them. On his way back through, he took out his frustration on the Jewish people. And he went into the temple, and I, if you can see that, that uh, 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 illustration in front of you, there's a, there's a false god sitting right here. Here's the Jewish uh, altar, the, the, the place where they would offer their sacrifices. And there's the god Zeus that, that Antiochus Epiphanes put in the, the temple court uh, by the altar. You can also see, it's kind of blurry, but uh, some people carrying up what is a pig, which is an abomination to the Jewish people, and, and he offered that sow on the altar where the sacrifices to worship God were supposed to be offered. It was called the abomination of desolation because it corrupted that altar and corrupted that whole uh, worship system. And Jesus is saying, that's happening again. There's going to be a time when this, uh, when this uh, ruler is going to show his utter hatred for the Jewish people, even though he had made a pact with them. And he said, when that happens, verse 16, he said, let them which are in Judea, if you're living in that area, around uh, Judea is the area around Jerusalem, if you're living in that area, he said, run for the mountains. Now notice how, how urgent Christ says you have to do this. Verse 17, let him which is on the housetop not come down to take anything out of his house. He's saying you don't even have time if you're on the roof of your house, and there, a lot of the roofs are flat over there. He said if you're on the roof of your house, you don't have time to go into your living room and grab anything. You have to get down and get out immediately when you see this happen. Verse 18, neither let him which is in the field return back to take his clothes. So what we're seeing here is the suddenness of this attack. You have no time. You're going to try to... Be, the Antichrist is going to try to exterminate the Jewish people from this point until God takes him out. That's how wicked and how vile this man is. Jesus goes on. He says the severity of this thing is, 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 is mind-boggling. Verse 19, Woe unto them that are with child and to the, them that give suck in those days. He's saying, 
if you are a nursing mother with a little one, it's almost impossible to survive. Why? Because he has no pity for the weak. None. Here's a mom. She's got a crying infant, could expose uh, maybe a group of people hiding. There's no mercy there. Uh, maybe she can't move fast enough with her little one. Maybe the little one catches cold or something because of exposure. He has no mercy upon anyone in a weakened state. You'll also notice he has uh, for the uh, no pity on the exposed. What is it, what I mean by that? Look at verse twenty. Pray that your flight be not in the winter. He's saying you specifically, those of you that 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 come to know me during this tribulation period and the abomination of desolation has not happened yet. He said, pray, pray that he's not able to do this during the winter. Isn't that interesting. If you're just joining us, you're listening to the Beacon of Hope broadcast, a ministry of Calkins Baptist Church. Now, back to the message. Because he's not going to have any concern for the people who are going to be frozen, people who are going to, because they don't have time. They don't have time to grab anything. He gets those people who delay. So he said, pray, specifically pray that your flight's not on the winter, neither on the Sabbath day. What would be the problem with that? Because there'd be many sincere Jewish people who don't believe they can go only a certain, uh, what's called the Sabbath day's journey. And so anybody who, even for their sincere, sincere held beliefs, says, I can't go, I, I can't go to the mountains, it's too long of a journey on the Sabbath, he will eliminate them. And so Jesus tells people who, who are living during the tribulation period, who've been converted, have come to know him as Savior, a couple things to pray about. Pray that, that when this thing hits, he's not allowed to do it in the wintertime. Pray, number two, that, that he's not allowed to do it on the Sabbath. Because this man will take out any person he possibly... He is trying to exterminate every person who's Jewish on the face of the earth. What a horrible, horrible day. The next thing Jesus tells us, don't be fooled concerning my return. Wouldn't you long to be able to see Christ at this point, to get, the, to get all of this behind you, to see the kingdom come and live to see the kingdom come? Well, well, there will be countless people who get saved. I have no idea what the figure would be, who, who are converted during that tribulation period, and they're longing for the king's return. And, and, and the forces of evil will even use that longing against many of Christ's children. Notice what Jesus warns them, verse 21. For then, after this abomination of desolation hits, then shall be great tribulation, suffering, trouble, anguish, all that comes with this horrible time. Then shall be great tribulation, such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, no, nor ever shall be. Now, let those words sink in. Jesus is saying, you've never seen a time like this, ever. And there'll never be a time like it again. That's how bad it's going to be. So anything we're going to compare it to, the Nazi Holocaust, the destruction of the Romans of the, of the city of Jerusalem, what Jesus prophesied, how every stone would be knocked down. You go back in and other terrible, horrific things that have happened in world history. You go all through all of it. Jesus is saying there's nothing that has ever happened in the history of the world like this event. And there never is going to be anything as bad as this. 
Matter of fact, notice how bad he says it is. Except verse 22, those days should be shortened or terminated. There shall no flesh be saved, but for the elect's sake those days shall be shortened. It may not last the entire seven years, just so that some will survive. That's how bad this time period is going to be. Now verse 23, Then if any man say to you, Lo, here is Christ, or lo, there, believe it not. So you can imagine your longing that this would be over. You're longing to, to hear that Jesus has come. And there will be people that will lie to those who believe in Christ and say, oh yeah, Christ has come and he's, he's here. In all probability, a way to round more believers up to destroy them. For there shall arise false Christ, verse 24, and false prophets, and shall show great signs and wonders, insomuch that if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So there will be miraculous things that, that these uh, demonically controlled false uh, religious leaders are going to be able to do. And some of that is described in the book of Revelation. I'm sure it's not every detail. And so there will be people that will say, what are you, what are you saying, believe in Jesus? Look at this, that this so-and-so can do. Adding further to the deception of the masses. Verse 25, Behold, I have told you before, Wherefore, if they shall say unto you, Behold, he is in the desert, go not forth. Behold, he is in the secret chambers, believe it not. Whatever kind of sign, whatever kind of miracle, whatever kind of, 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 of supposed sighting we have of Christ, Jesus is saying, don't believe it, don't go. Obviously warning them. The danger that if they, if they do. Why does Jesus say, you don't have to, you don't have to um, find me? Because ultimately, he's saying, I'm going to find you. For as the lightning cometh out of the east and shineth even unto the west, so shall also the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will the eagles be gathered together. What's he saying? He's saying, you know what, fellows, when I come, everybody's going to know it. So you don't have to look for me. But number two, if you're a rebel against me, you're in big trouble then. So boy, I, I, I just don't understand why God would, would punish um, people with hell. Can I just ask you to think about if you were able to see the horrible things that are done on this planet, and all of them because of rebellion against the Creator. If you could see what is going on, you would have a totally different view. And God is going to judge those who are in rebellion against Him. Matter of fact, look at verse 29 and, and think of the emotion of this moment. Immediately after the tribulation of those days. So this is the end of that horrible period of time. Okay? The sun shall the sun be darkened, and the moon not give her light, and the stars shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens shall be shaken. Now imagine this. You're on the earth, and, and we haven't even begun to discuss. Jesus hasn't even begun to discuss here all of the horrible, the horrific and, and terrible things that are going to happen during this last three and a half years, especially. 
Some of that will be mentioned again in the book of John, but it'll be, it'd be like looking at that bridge in the fog. We're, we're going to see some of it, but we're not going to know many of the details. But just what we see is, is mind-boggling. In, in, the, um, in, the, in the book of Revelation, it talks about one period of time, a quarter of the world's population dying. And by the way, if I understand the book of Revelation correctly, and I've had the privilege of, 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 of working on it for a number of years, um, not that that makes me an expert, but I believe that quarter of the population of the world that is destroyed happens in the first three and a half years before it gets really, really bad. He talks about another set of judgments that go right around that middle part, and a third of the population of the world is again dies. Now, this would be believers and unbelievers. That's in the second set of judgments, what we call the trumpet judgments. There is a third set of judgments, which we call the bowls or the vials of wrath of God. And those were not even given any kind of figures as to what the population of the world is that is wiped out. Now, what Jesus is saying is when all of that has taken place and all of these judgments have fallen and, and Christian people throughout this period have been rounded up and destroyed in horrific ways, when all of this and, and, and the anger against God because God is putting judgments on and then mankind is destroying himself with all the wars that are going on and all the violence that is going on from a hardened and wicked society, when we're coming to the end of this thing, that's what Jesus now is talking about in verse 29. He says, okay, when the tribulation is done and all of these judgments have finally hit, then the lights are all going out. The sun's dark and the moon doesn't give its light. The stars fall from heaven. The, 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 the powers of heaven are shaken at this point. So I want you to think of these last final signs here. A darkened world. Sun darkened. Moon does not shine. Stars fall from heaven, the heavenly powers are shaken, and Jesus says, when that happens, then I'm coming. And you can understand then at this point why everybody, everybody would, would see him coming. We'll say, how is God going to do that when we have a round planet? I'm really not concerned about that. I just know this when the lights are out. People are going to know, and Jesus said, I, it's like the sun going, it's like the lightning going from one end of the heaven to the other. Believe me, everyone will know when I come. You don't have to look for me. If you're my follower, you don't have to look for me. I'll find you. Verse 30. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn. You say, why are they mourning? Why aren't you rejoicing? Everything has gone terrible. Why would people all over the world be mourning at this point? And the reason why, when you think of it, it's pretty obvious. He's talking about the people who have remained in rebellion against him, who have lived their lives, what they have had, and said, we're going to fit into this world community. We really don't want God. We don't want his son. And they know that God's been bringing many of these judgments upon them. If you go through the book of Revelation, you'll find that first they're afraid, then they're unrepentant, and they get to the place where they're absolutely blaspheming God. And what really is happening is Jesus is breaking now through the darkness, and everyone knows he's coming. They're mourning because it's, it's game over. All the rebellion is being put down by force now. 
Then shall the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now what about his followers? Well, verse 31. He shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together as elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. And all those places that the believers were scattered, they're going to be gathered. Gathered to their Savior. Those who lived through this horrific time. So what is Jesus saying at this point? Well, first of all, um, he certainly is going to return as king. There's no doubt about that. I'm, I'm, I am coming as king, and here's, where it's going to, here's how it's going to happen. If you want to know what's going to happen right before my coming, this is it. He's saying, secondly, the coming is pre- preceded by definite signs, and there are many of them. And, and just to try to get them on one slide, I'll show them in just a second here. The coming is not imminent. What I mean by that is he's, he's not coming without warning as king. Now, how many of these signs? I, I, I've lopped a few of them together, but let me just to get them on the slide, really. We have Antichrist, that was verse 4 and 5. We have wars. We have rumors of wars. By the way, I didn't even put that one in there. Famines were mentioned. He mentioned plagues. He mentioned earthquakes. He mentioned a worldwide persecution. He mentioned many people being offended. He mentioned betrayal. He mentioned uh, hatred that's poured out. People become hardened. He mentioned false prophets. He mentioned great sin and, and hardness of heart among people. He mentioned the gospel going across the world. Uh, he mentioned uh, the abomination of desolation. He mentioned false signs and, and, and claims that Jesus had come back. And then he mentioned all these heavenly signs. Now, clearly then this coming, his coming as king, is, is not without warning. It's got all kinds of warnings behind it. And in each of those signs, now, now again, don't think of it as an earthquake over here, uh, uh, you know, the coronavirus over there. We're not talking about that. We're talking about all of these signs coming to pass. All of them. And people being able to, to, to realize this is not mere happenstance. God is stepping in. And they're making choices. Am I willing to to turn my life over to Jesus Christ? Now, that is going to mean being completely in rebellion against the world order of the day and being hunted like an animal, worse than an animal. Am I willing to go and and follow the Lord for that in order to come into his kingdom? People say, well, you know, I just don't know if I want to become a Christian because of what it's going to cost me. Believe me, you have no idea what it would cost you in this day. So what happens when Christ returns? Well, you have, he appears to all the earth. He said that the lost will mourn his arrival. He said that he is coming with great power and glory. And he said he will gather his scattered people from across the world. Now I'd like to look at four more verses, verse 32 to 35, in what we call the parable of the fig tree. There's a uh, a little branching uh, fig tree probably in the spring. I want you to notice what Jesus says in this parable. It's verse 32 down to verse 34, and then there's a final statement that we want to gather. Now learn a parable of the fig tree. When his branch is yet tender and putteth forth leaves, ye know that the summer is nigh. Okay, so we're told here that new growth foretells the coming of summer. In, In that part of the world, in the Middle East, nation of Israel, when you see those fig 
uh, fig leaves starting to come out, you know, hey, we're getting close to summer. Verse 33, so likewise, when you shall see all these things, know that it is near even at the doors. So that's why you really, when you see uh, people cherry pick, well, we had an earthquake over here. We had a plague over there. Well, there's famine over there. Okay, but it's 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 more than even those early signs. There's there's the false Christ. There's the abomination of desolation. There's all these things that are going to come to pass. And I listed, I, I lopped them into fifteen. When you see all these things come to pass, so obviously we're talking here about. These, these, all these signs being fulfilled, not just a scattering of, of, of events that honestly do happen from time to time. When all these things come together, notice what he says in verse 33 again, so likewise when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. What is near? His coming as king. And then he makes this statement, the generation that sees all these signs will see his return. Verily I say unto you, this generation shall not pass till all these things be fulfilled. And what I believe he's saying there is the generation that sees all these signs, that's the generation that's going to see my kingdom. Now he makes a final statement in just a moment here, and that is God will keep his word. And I want you to notice how he says it. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. And that's true. Heaven and earth are going to pass away. You know what he's really saying by that? He's saying that his prophecies are more reliable than the physical universe itself. It may sound incredible. It may sound like this can never be. Jesus said it's going to happen. And remember, he's the one that spoke the universe into existence. And he's saying there's coming a day when that's going to go but my words will never pass away. You can bank on them. Jesus is saying his followers are going to need discernment, courage, and endurance. They'll need discernment so they won't be fooled by the false prophets, so they won't be taken uh, uh, in by those who say Christ has come and he's here or there, or this person is the Christ. He's come back. They're going to need, they're going to need discernment. They're going to need courage. Courage to be slandered, to, to be completely ostracized from society. The book of Revelation talks about the fact that the Antichrist is going to make it that you can't buy or sell without his mark. And his mark is, is basically you sealing your fate as an unbeliever. And, and so believers will not be able to take his mark, whatever it is. And they will not, they'll be completely ostracized from society, not be able to buy or sell. Can you imagine that day? They'll need endurance. They'll need to stick with this. The seven years are going to seem like, like an eternity, I'm sure, when you're, in, when you're in it. What a horrific, horrific time. Before his return as king, his followers will endure the most horrific days in world history. We looked at that, and I will just remind you again of verse 21 especially. There's never been a day like this before and there never will be again. His followers will not need to seek him out. He will find them. Now, some of you may be asking, well, Pastor Jones, don't you believe that Jesus could come at any moment? You're talking about this return that 
is, is, is set up by all these, all these signs, and, and, and not just, again, a few here and there, all of them coming together. Don't we believe in an imminent return of the Lord? And the answer is, yes, I do. But Jesus is not talking about his coming for his church. The disciples didn't ask that question. He is talking at this point about his coming as king. Now, I believe the subject will change, and I've stopped at verse 36. I haven't gone there yet, because I, and we'll, Lord willing, in a future message, uh, maybe even next week, we'll talk about what happens next, what, what is, what, what's on the agenda for us. And that is this, this unforeseen coming. We call that the rapture, but that is not in these first 35 verses. Well, some may say, well, do you think that we are in the last days? I get that question a lot. Pastor, you think we're in the last days? Uh, let me just answer you that we've been in the last days for about 2,000 years. We have. Let me just show you one of the passages. Um, let's go to Hebrews. It's uh, chapter 1. Verse 1 and 2, the, the one in Acts, um, the Apostle Peter at Pentecost said that the sign of the Holy Spirit's coming and what he did was a sign of the last days. But in Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, notice what it says. God who at sundry times and in divers or different varying manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets, hath, notice it, in these last days spoken unto us by his Son. So we could mark the beginning of the last days even by the coming and, and ministry of Jesus on earth, whom he hath appointed heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds. Are we in the last days? Yes, absolutely we are. Well, are, are we to look for signs of Christ's return? Well, the answer to that is that we are not looking for signs of his return in the rapture. There are no signs and no warnings. The return that Jesus has told us to wait for, for his bride, his church, is what we would call imminent. It could happen at any moment. It's like, it's like a thundercloud coming over your head, and you know it's going to rain. You just don't know exactly when. Jesus is saying that's kind of like and, and a cloud has been overhead as far as he could come at any moment since he left. We have no idea when he's coming back. We have to be ready. And so there are continual uh, uh, encouragements to watch, to watch for him and to be ready. And we and you say, how do I be ready for something? I don't know when it's coming. Is it Walk with God today. Walk faithfully with him so that whenever he comes, whether it's for you by death or for you by his return uh, in the rapture, that you're ready. Well, someone would say, well, if this um, section is not directly for us, what do we learn from it? Because basically what I've just told you is verses 1 to 35 don't even apply to, to you uh, at this point if you belong to Christ. Well, let me just give you some things to think about. First of all, Second uh, uh, Timothy chapter 3, we do want to go there. You're not very far if you're in the book of Hebrews. You just want to go a little bit in front of that. You got Titus, and then you got Second Timothy. And chapter 3, verses 1 to 5, I want you to notice another reference to the last days. Paul saying that they were in them, and in his lifetime, he's just shortly after Christ, so they'd been already established that we're in the last days. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 1. This know also, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Now the word times there is the word for seasons. 
it means that in these last days, while we're waiting for Christ's return, and we're, we're obviously we're uh, if we know Christ as Savior, we're not going to be on earth during the tribulation period. We're going to miss that. We're but we we are going to see His kingdom come in. We're actually going to come back with the Lord for that event. So, but what's going on then? Where we're at right now? Well. The Apostle Paul tells us there will be seasons of peril that will come. And then he begins to describe what those seasons of peril are like. So he says there will be times, and that word, again, time means seasons. There will be times when you can come into peril. Now, what are those times like? By the way, this is an interesting picture of a wolf at night. Notice Paul's description of what a season of peril is like. For men shall be lovers of their own selves. You think that's going on today? Lovers of self? That's, that's taught as dogma. You know what the Bible teaches? The Bible teaches you already love yourself. The problem is you're not, is that we have to be taught to sacrifice ourselves. We have to be taught, we have to, we have to let the Lord help us to die to self. Oh, we love ourselves. Automatically. They'll be covetous. Lovers of um, uh, of their own selves. Covetous is the idea of lovers of money, by the way. Boasters. Notice the next one is proud. Notice the next one is blasphemers. Boy, we see so much of that even today. Disobedient to parents. Unthankful and unholy. This is how he describes. No, no he's got more. Notice, without natural affection, that means a normal love between a mother and her child, a normal love between a husband and wife, normal love between, uh, uh, again, uh, a father and his children, without natural affection. He goes on, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, means without self-control. People just do not have any self-control. Fierce. Just mean, um, vindictive, uh, dangerous type of people. Despisers of those that are good. If you actually want to do right, they hate you for it. Traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. Having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof from such turn away. What the Apostle Paul is saying is is that's what a, a season of trouble looks like. And I've just listed the first, what, first ten. I would submit to you that unless there is a major revival, we are headed for perilous times in our society. But remember, the tribulation is going to be far worse. It's like the wolf multiplied. What do we conclude from this? Well, number one, the days immediately before Christ comes as king will be the darkest in human history. That is clear. Jesus stated that just just succinctly and clearly. Number two, since we can go through seasons of danger as Christians, we're still going to need the same thing. We're going to need that courage, that endurance. We're going to need wisdom. And so um, you and I need those very same things today, not to the uh, extent that those during the tribulation period need it, but in our culture and in our society, and it could get a lot worse. Um, Without a movement of God, it will. Becoming a Christian in those days will be much harder than now. How do you think that applies? 
Someone says, well, I, I, I really don't know if I want to pay the price to be a Christian now. You have no idea. Folks, you'd be staring down not being able to eat and becoming a Christian. Leaving, having to leave your family and becoming a Christian. Don't think, well, if they're, oh, I can just put it off, and if, you know, if the rapture happens and I miss that, I'll be fine. Do you really want to face those kind of choices? You do not want to be on earth during these days. You don't. The days that Jesus was describing and the days that the book of Revelation gives more detail to, you do not want to be part of that. So the main thought I'd like to give you is simply this. Now's the time to make peace with God. And if you already have peace with God, now is the time to tell your loved ones. Because we have no idea when Christ comes and takes his bride away. And shortly after that is when this horrible, horrible day is going to hit. Are you ready? Christian, are you, are you being a light to people around you who you know would be caught in this if Christ were to return today? We have no idea, do we? And if you're not saved here, have you given your heart to Christ? Have you known about this and just thought, well, I want to I live my life for myself? You do not want to live to this horrible day that Jesus is describing before he comes as king. As always, if you have a spiritual need and would like to interact with someone who can help you, you can email us at help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. Calkins is spelled C-A-L-K-I-N-S. Again, that email address is help at CalkinsBaptistChurch.com. If you care enough to reach out to us, we would be honored to try to encourage you in your relationship with God in any way that we can. For those of you who can't attend in person, we live stream many of our services. You can access them on our Facebook page by searching for Calkins Baptist Church on that platform. We also have a podcast that contains the recordings for this entire series. The best way for you to access that resource is to follow the Radio Bold icon that we've pinned near the top of our Facebook page. Also, several months back, we began uploading videos of our services to YouTube, so if you don't have Facebook and you would like to view a message, you can search for Calkins Baptist Church on YouTube, and you'll find our page there. As we leave you today, we pray that this broadcast has been a beacon of hope in your life to point you to the light of the world, Jesus Christ. May God's richest blessings come upon you. Thanks for listening. Free.